0: I want you to open to the book of Haggai. It's the third from the end. You go to Malachi, then Zechariah, you'll come to Haggai, the third book from the end in the Old Testament. We're gonna be there for a few moments and then we'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. So you may wanna find both of those. But we're gonna begin with Haggai chapter one, verses five through seven, and take our title from verses five And seven, where the Lord says, consider your ways. Now that's the title of the message today. Consider your ways. And in verse seven, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's a common theme in life, a common occurrence in life. It is something that we do practically all the time. In some form or another, we consider our ways. When our ways are not the right ways, when we're not doing things we should do, our conscience bothers us, and the purpose of that is to correct you from doing wrong so that you can do right. An enlightened conscience, a conscience that has been illumined to know what is right rather than what you think is right, is a wonderful thing to have. And it's a haunting thing when you violate it unless you repent of what you're doing. But the whole purpose of it is to keep you on the right track and to alert you when you're not. And So it is for us to consider our ways. Now, in the text here of Haggai, he's talking about not putting God first in your lives. He speaks about building his house. He said, you're building your own houses, and you're going about doing your own thing. He said, and I don't have a house. Of course, a place to worship. That was important in Israel because the focus, I said last week, the focal point of Israel was their worship. And their worship was centered in a place. And in that place was all the sacrifices and the priesthood and the various things that they did, which typified God and his ways. And when the people get away from doing that in earnest, your life may be full of formalities. Your life can be full of ritual and routine. And mine was in the Christian church, and you just know what to do. You don't have to have your heart in it. You just know what to do. You don't have to try to think of the songs you're singing like in place like this. We already know what they are, and we know we're supposed to clap, and we do that. And you can get to the place where you become so indifferent to what you're doing. That is, your heart is not bringing it all out. You're doing it. You're doing the things you're supposed to do. They were. And you're singing, and you're giving, and you're this and that but it doesn't seem to follow your life. And every now and then, you hear something in here or you hear something out there, and it kinda signals something on the inside of you that you, know, you need to think about what you're doing. You need to think about where you're going. Again, in Haggai's case, you are so busy doing your own thing, you forget about me. He said, consider your ways. Now, as a result of this, in verse six, he said, you have sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but there's none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put in a bag with holes in it. So we're talking here about insufficiency and lack or poverty in some form. And So we could bring it down in the New Testament as the message of what we're seeing here, what we are shown here, is that, you know, if we're not doing well, like God wants us to do well, then we need to consider our ways as something is blocking us. Unless, like a lot of people today, you believe that God doesn't necessarily want to bless all of his people. I read Deuteronomy 28 as a promise from God. A promise that specifically spells out what he will do for his people if his people will put him first. If my people will acknowledge me and keep my ways and walk in my steps, if my people will... First, focus on me. Seek first my kingdom. He said, all these blessings shall come upon them. He didn't say all these blessings could come upon them. All these blessings are available to those I want to give them to. He said, but all these blessings shall come upon them. Now, I'm no different than you are, but I do remember at some point earlier in my life when I heard these things, wondering how can this be? All these blessings weren't happening in my life. As I considered my ways, I began to see. As I began to read more about the Bible, I didn't put God first in my life. I didn't walk around with convictions about what's right or wrong. I just made that decision myself. Whatever I thought was right was right, and whatever I thought was wrong was wrong. And after all, nobody's perfect, and who can do everything you're supposed to do? So so I considered my own ways, but... I knew I wasn't living the way the Bible taught. I didn't think anybody could. And maybe that's why my family, my family tree, the people in my family had been sick and broke down and poor and full of tragedies and sorrow for as far back as I can remember, the stories my mother would tell me about problems and tragedies in the family and Bonnie's family. Maybe it was because we turned our backs on God. Oh, we were religious people, I don't mean that. But our heart wasn't in it. We didn't really care about if we did it right or not. Just we were there. Come on. And we just lived as human beings and added church to our life. And we weren't doing well. We didn't do well. I think everybody who is Christian should do well. I think you should prosper and be in health. I do. I believe that there's no exceptions. But it is all dependent on whether or not your soul prospers spiritual man on the inside that has been illumined by God to a way you should walk. A man must be willing to walk that way if he doesn't. then God says, you need to consider your ways. The level of life you've chosen, the level of life you're living is not the level I have for you. I've given you better than this. Oh, you're enduring and you're making do, but you're grumbling and you're complaining. And when you hear the message about blessings and the goodness of God, you sort of get irritated by because why isn't it working for me you say well God says consider your ways consider your own ways I mean he said it twice here now last week we ended at Lamentations 340 which said let us search and try our ways I mean there's another example of considering your ways let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord he said we're not doing well well God says well look at your life Look at your choices. I've told you not to do this, but you do it anyway. I've told you not to say that, but you say it anyway. I've told you to have this as a routine in your life, and you ignore it. And consequently, the blessings don't come like that. That's not an avenue of grace. You're resisting God, and therefore God is resisting you. It shouldn't be like that. We should be blessed. We should be blessed. I don't mind being blessed. But I think my being blessed is an example for you. Doesn't the Bible say something about be not slothful, but followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises? Shouldn't I do that? Isn't that the responsibility of anybody who is going to be a minister of God's people to live the life and to let the results be seen? I Don't take that wrong. I'm just quoting the Bible here. All I'm saying to you is that what God has done for any of us, for me, he'll do for you. Y'all remember Jehoshaphat? You ever heard of that name, Jumping Jehoshaphat, as Batman used to call him? Well, there was a reason he was called Jumping Jehoshaphat. We've already been there. But Jehoshaphat, when he came to the throne, his father Asa had died, and Jehoshaphat became the king. And he had had a pretty good example from Asa. Most of it was. He set himself after the example of David. You know why? I believe it doesn't say but he looked at David's life, and though it was wearied with running and all of that, David was blessed in everything he did. He couldn't lose a battle. He was always victorious in whatever he did. God was there to make him do well, in the end especially. And so Jehoshaphat said, you know, if God will do that for David, he'll do that for me. So he began to live like that. He began to set himself after that example. And you know what God did? God blessed him. Even to the point of saying that the nations round about Israel at that time, without any provocation from Israel about threats or anything, they brought him treasures in abundance. Jehoshaphat is just, well, bring it, yeah, bring it on over here. I I didn't ask you for it, but God said he will cause these things to come upon you. Didn't he say that? He's seeking the kingdom of God. His ways are not set on what's best for me, but what is best in the Lord's word for me to do. I want to do his way first. I'm not doing this so I can get blessed. I'm doing this because I'm a Christian. And God says, if your heart is really in that, I will bless you when you go out. I will bless you as you come in. I'll bless everything you put your hands to. I'll make you the head and not the tail. And you'll have abundance in your basket and your store and your cattle and your family and life itself. Plus, he said, you'll be a holy people. Well, this is what God wants. But when it's not like that, I think the word is, consider your ways. Who is it in Psalm 24 ascends to the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. To consider your ways means first and foremost, you've got to have an honest evaluation of yourself. You can't justify your wrongs. Oh, you can do it, everybody does, but you can't do that as a Christian and expect that to be okay. God wants you to unzip yourself from everything artificial and insincere, and he wants you to present yourself to him as you are and to admit that he is altogether right and you're altogether wrong. He just wants a pure and a clean heart from you. No show, no and just a clean hands and a pure heart. You know what he said in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the pure in heart. For they, they shall see God. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, if you'll turn over there and we'll continue looking at evaluating yourself. We run into an old familiar scripture here in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And it's about examining yourself and proving yourself. Now, I believe Paul was addressing this verse to his oppressors in verse two and three he talks about the people who opposed him or in chapter 10 and verse 10, he says, you know, his letters are weighty and his body stature is weak and his speech is contemptible. Apparently, the apostle Paul was not somebody that you were really impressed with. But he had the anointing of the Holy Ghost upon him and he warned them, he said, you know what? I was humbled by the first time I was there. I have written things that I want you to understand. And you say, well, his letters are weighty. and you know." He, but look, he's not much. He said, when I come to you the next time, I'm going to unload. And he didn't use those words. But this is what he said. They were really giving him a hard time. Everywhere Paul went, there was always somebody there to oppose him and to aggravate the people he was talking to and cause confusion and so forth. That was his thorn in the flesh. Paul he said, can you get rid of this? He said, no, this is to keep you from being exalted above measure. If you had no opposition, you would probably think you were doing it and not me because that's what Christians do. Look at what we've done. So he said, this is necessary for you right now. So anyway, he comes down to verse five and I'm gonna use it in application to us in considering our ways, and two or three things are said here. First, there's two words concerning one subject, and the result is either or. You're either a reprobate or you're not. Let's read it. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Or he would probably said, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? That's not a good word. That's not a kind word, but it's a Bible word. Notice, first of all, the two words that he uses for us to evaluate ourselves with. The word examine and the word prove. There's nothing difficult or deep about the word. The word examine means to scrutinize. It just means to evaluate, to examine, or to inspect carefully with a view to discover the truth or the real state of a thing it's a close look and inspection at something to see whether or not it's working right or if it is right we call that examination to examine something and we're told this is what we should do to ourselves we should examine ourselves Are we functioning the way we should? Are we in right order with God according to what he's shown us? To those he shows a lot, there's a whole lot to line up with. To those that are new and have been shown a little, that's still what they have to line up with. But the question is, will you examine yourself? This word examine is interesting because it can be used either in a good sense or in a bad sense. In our text here, 2 Corinthians 13, it's used in a good sense because it's for you to say time out to your life and the problems you're having. will not you take a good look at yourself? Examine yourself. Are things in right order here between you and the Lord? Are his ways becoming your ways? Are his thoughts becoming your thoughts? Is your hand on his plow? Are you seeking his kingdom or your own? You need to examine yourself. Don't hide anything don't cover anything up because you can't ever grow with lies. The only thing that God will ever use to make anybody right is truth. You shall know the truth, not a half truth, but the truth, and the truth will make you free. So you have to be willing to be honest about what you're like when you evaluate yourself. It's used in a good sense. It's also used in a bad sense. It's translated tempter in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, when Paul wrote to the Church of Thessalonica, he said, you know, when I can no longer forbear, I sent to find out about your faith, whether the tempter had tempted you and our labor be in vain. I got to know how you're doing with respect to trusting and following after God. Because if the devil has talked you out of that, then all that we did there was for nothing. What a terrible thing for a minister to have to say, but it's true. All the time I spent with you, Talking to you and preaching to you and laboring you day and night, Paul said. If somebody's talked you out of it, watered it down, modified it, reconstructed it so that it no longer means what it said, and you're living way below what you should, then everything I taught you was for nothing. It can mean that, the tempter, or Jesus was tempted. Remember the tempter, Matthew 4, Satan came and tempted Jesus? Well, that's what this word examine means. He examined him. Or Hebrews 4 says, we have not a great high priest who cannot be tempted with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. So you see the bad side about the tempter encouraging you and tempting you to fail and to fall, whereas you can also examine yourself to see how you're doing so you can fix things. The other word, prove, is interesting also because we use it a lot when we read Romans 12. Mary he said, be not fashioned according to this word, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is perfect and complete and so forth. What's more important to you than the will of God? The will of God isn't always what seems to be best for you. The will of God isn't always what seems to be the most practical thing to do. The will of God is something that comes by God revealing it to you. Sometimes we live in the will of God and the world thinks we're fools. We're doing things his way and not our way. But we came to that because of the input of his word. We turned away from the world and the way it reasons and comes to conclusions, and we came to God and we realized that his way is the only right way. And instead of being fashioned or formed according to the world, we are being changed as our mind is being renewed. We're thinking different, seeing things different, concluding differently. And we begin to see things God's way, and he shows us his way, and that's his will. But you don't just come to that because you go to church. You don't just come to that because you've been baptized in water of the Holy Ghost. You don't just come to that because you're somehow involved in religion, or you go to a meeting somewhere. The will of God is sometimes sought after with great earnest. What should I do? How should I do this? Should I go there? Should I say that? What should I do, Lord? And there is a way, and it's God's way, but you have to seek it. But he said this is what this word prove means. Prove yourself. Find out what's really right. Ask yourself if you're really doing right. Your faith is going to be tested. We have to take everything by faith, and it's going to be tested, and it's going to be tried. But this is what 2 Corinthians 5 is saying to us. Examine yourself and prove yourself. Let me read from a couple of translations. One of them says, test yourselves and find out if you really are true to your faith. Is that something you can do? That's something you're told to do. You must be able to do that. Test yourselves. Another translation says, scrutinize yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Prove your own selves. Examine yourself. Another translation says, put yourselves to the test and judge yourselves to find out whether you are living in faith. I don't know how many people really want to do that. But that's also a part of the test. As we'll get to at the end of this, I don't know how many people really want to discover themselves as God sees them. Because it might not be good, and you're not trying to do it right, and you want it to be okay because you're doing it the way you think it should be. Listen to the Williams translation. He says, you yourselves must continue testing yourselves to see whether you are continuing in the faith. You must continue standing the test. Do you not know by growing experience that Jesus Christ is in you, provided you stand the test? think of that. Are we growing? Are we better equipped now than we were 15 years ago, 10 years ago? Have we come to a more right way in the Lord this year than we were five years ago? Have we grown Because if we're not growing, it means we probably got used to where we were and satisfied ourselves with that much and sort of let that be the way we're kinda going now. It seems to me like a lot of people that I've known in the past, not here, but I mean in the whole spectrum of my lifetime as a Christian, so many people have come so far, they came so far, and they just leveled out. They quit going forward. Things that they wouldn't have accepted one time becomes good enough now, as so though God has a level of good enough. And I wonder sometimes if people have ever really considered about testing yourself and considering yourself. Won't you put yourself to the test? Won't you undo yourself in that private place in your life, wherever you are, nobody's around? Won't you undo yourself before God and become clean? Testing is throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Remember Abraham? Genesis 22, he said, I'm going to test Abraham. And in verse 12 of Genesis 22, when they raised a knife to kill his son, the angel said, Abraham, do thy son no harm, for now I know thou fearest me. How did they know he feared God? Because he was willing to obey God. He was put to the test. Are you willing to change the way you live or change the way you talk or change the way you dress? Are you willing to change to the things that your heart convicts you that you should do? God will find out, and then he will tap you on the shoulder and said, you're not doing well, are you? You're not doing as well as you should be doing, are you? You've done better years back than you're doing now shouldn't that be a signal to us that we're not doing something the way we should be doing it? That as we consider our own ways, or as Lamentation said, let us search and try our ways. Obviously, if we don't see how they're right, then we we'll are turn again to the Lord. But that's the way God wants us to do it. Now, the test in 2 Corinthians 13, this examining and proving, is for one thing. It's whether or not you are in The faith. That's the whole test. That little word faith that we've heard for 30, 40 years is still the word that God keeps bringing back to us because it's never gone away. It will never go away. We as Christians live by faith. We walk by faith. Our prayers are no good unless they are prayed in faith that we are justified by faith. We're made right with God by faith. God's rebuke was, oh, you of little faith, four times. Be it unto you, Jesus said at least twice, be it unto you according to your faith. Everything has to do with faith. The tree you cursed is dead. Have faith in God. First thing he said. God puts a premium on faith. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. And he must believe, as I started this thing, that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That God wants to make a difference with you being his child and him being your God. He wants to bless you. He doesn't just bless you because you mouth certain words about coming into the kingdom, but he blesses you because you are living like everything he said is true You are acting like what he said must be. And you've made a decision to count on him to do what he said, even though there's no evidence to support it. You think of all the people that have been sick with certain diseases and problems and they never got healed. And then you look at them when you feel like you're having the same thing and your mind says, well, how could this be? It didn't happen for them. They go to the same church you go to. They listen to the same people you listen to. You're not better than they are. And a lot of people get talked out of their faith like that. And sometimes you have to say, you know, I don't know why things don't happen for other people. I don't know why things don't come out right. I can't evaluate other people's lives. I don't know how they live. I don't know what they think. I don't know what they're doing when they're alone. I don't know what they do. I don't know how they act about other people. I don't know how they think about other people. I don't know what God knows about people. So I can't compare myself with you and say, well, if it didn't work for you, it might not work for me. I only know what's in my heart. And if my heart is clean and I have nothing that comes to my mind about any way I'm resisting God, then I have a clear conscience. As Paul said, I come to the Lord and I release my faith. I say, Lord, it shall be even as it was told me. This has been going on for 40 years, 42. It does work. God does bless. And again, I don't know why it doesn't work for somebody else. Because to repeat myself, I don't see in others what God sees. And we can justify our insufficiency and our lack of say, well, nobody's perfect. That's not what I'm into. I want to be perfect. Perfect in the sense that I want to be completely the way God wants me to be. That's what perfect means. To be the kind of person, doing the kind of things, living the kind of life God wants me to live. Reaching a place he has given me to reach. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's possible. I want my faith to not only believe that this can happen for me, but I want my faith to be evidenced by a life. I not only want to find out what he wants, but I want something in me that says it shall be, even as it was told me. And then not just sit around, well, he said he wouldn't. If he wants to, he wouldn't. No, begin to live like I'm supposed to live in expectation of it. I start saying, God will take care of this. God will supply my needs. God will heal. God will fix the marriage. God will save the child. God will whatever you promised. You start living like it's true. There's no evidence of its truth. The pain is still there. The separation is still real. The money is still there. You're still broke, you're still in debt, but you're saying, I got myself in debt because of sin. I took it upon myself to just assume that I'll be able to take care of my bills tomorrow when I have no right to even know if I'll be here tomorrow. Who am I to say I can sign my name to paper now in the next 20 years? How do you know you'll be here 20 years? How do you know you'll be here tomorrow? The book of James says, go to now, you who say today or tomorrow we will do such a thing. Sufficient for today is evil. You don't know if you'll be here tomorrow. Only God knows that. So you have to humble yourself and say, I'll do it God's way. And people think you're crazy, but that's all right. But you begin to live the way God said to live, one day at a time, one day at a time. You begin to live like it's true, and you're expecting him to bless you. You're expecting him to get you out of debt. And while you're expecting him to get you out of debt, you get your property tax bill, and you open it up, and boy, your smile is challenged. Your joy, the joy of the Lord. Oh, oh, oh my, how much is that? And then the voice comes back. What do you believe? What do you believe? It's a challenge. Whenever the question like that is asked, it's God says, Consider your ways. What do you believe? A You're a Christian. Oh, I know you go to church. Good. But what do you believe? Right. Do you believe he can or that he will? he will? Anybody believes he can. Do you believe he will? Do you believe that God will do what he said simply because he said it if you believe it? That's all he requires. And faith is not some mental gymnastics where you just, well, you know, I guess if he No, faith is an act. It is always a choice you make to take him at his word and to live like what he said is true. Not could be, not might be, but is true. We learned many years ago, if, if you believe you're healed, you get out of bed. You go to church, you walk it out as we used to say. You hardly hear anybody talk that way anymore. And so we're saying, consider your ways. We talked about one time in the old days about when the Lord came and the change that took place. Our dress changed, mine didn't, you know. The women, they changed. There was this word that we believe came from God about the appearance of a woman and about our commitment to each other to help and to give and to assemble ourselves together to witness to people. And We had this weekly thing where we go out and pass out tracts, knock on doors, went to neighborhoods and countless doors knocked on and witnessed to hospitals and malls, picking up strangers one time picked up a stranger, bought him a car so he could go wherever he was going. Broke a little baby, nothing to eat, destitute, car broke down. Just excited about doing that. You know what? In those early days, as you started believing and trusting God and enjoying this life, the blessing of God began to come. It just began to come. We didn't sit around, and I'm not trying to exalt something that's not true. We didn't sit around talking about our problems. We didn't sit around complaining or grumbling. I've been a complainer and a grumbler my whole life. It was a chore that sometimes it still is. But things begin to change. Not because God said they would change, but because we believed what God said, and therefore God activated what he said and started coming to pass. You remember the verse in the scripture that God watches over his word to perform it? But he performs it in Isaiah 55 when it returns. Remember that? So shall my word be it goes forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void. Void means empty. It's not an empty word. It comes back. It's a word of faith which we preach that God has said something and you have believed something and therefore you're acting like it's going to happen and people think you're crazy. That you could lay hands on somebody and somebody could be healed. That doesn't work like that today. You didn't get your flu shot. I didn't. If you get yours, that's between you and whatever's in your heart. I don't need a flu shot. I don't. He bore my pains and carried my flu. I didn't smile, but by his stripes I'm healed. If I am, then I'm going to act like I am. If he did, I must act like he did because faith is an act. If I can, then I'm going to act like I can. If I can do all things through Christ, I'm going to quit saying I can't. I'm going to act like I can. If he said, I am above and not beneath, I'm going to live like I'm above and not beneath, but not haughty, because he's above me. I can do all things through Christ who, then I am strong enough. In older age, he said, he will make you full of sap. Well, that has to be good. Whatever you want it to, it has to be good. Vigor, vim and vigor. He will renew our youth like the eagles. That has to be good also. We don't have to be old and decrepit and broke down and moaning all the time, looking for a cracker to eat. He said, if with long life will I, what? Satisfied. Satisfied. Do you believe it, though? See, some of you don't have to yet. Nobody in here has to believe that yet. Nobody in here is old yet. Well, as far as I can tell, nobody's old. Some of you all think somebody's old, but we're not. (laughs) It is good for God to lay his word before us and then make clear and plain to us, you've never lived this way before. You have never enjoyed the possibility of all of this ever working for you before, but now I'm here because you're my people. I'm here to tell you this is what I want to do for you. This is what I want to do for you. I want to bless you when you go out. I want you to be blessed when you come in here. I want everything you put your hand to to prosper. And I want your boss to know it and the people you work for to know it. If you're self-employed. I want you to do such a good job. I want you to be blessed above other people. He said he would do this. I want you to know that I am for you and not against you. But I'm going to hold you to a line, and I'm going to call faith. While all of these things I'm promised, you haven't seen these things happen yet, but I require you to believe that they're going to before I'll ever do it. So don't sit here and gawk at it and say, oh, how could that be? Because it doesn't work when you do that. You remember our favorite verse, Mark 11 and verse 20, what is it? 4? What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe. Accept as true. Make it your own. Believe that you have received them, and you shall. Is that good? It doesn't work for a lot of people because I don't know how many people when they pray really believe it works. They prayed three or four times. Lord, it hasn't worked yet. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. And they keep praying for something because they never believed it'll work. They never believe they have what they asked for because they don't see it. So they keep praying for the same thing again because they don't believe that they have received it because they can't see it. They can't feel it. They can't taste it, touch it, smell it. Their senses can't approve of it. And yet God says this. The difference between you and the world is you walk by faith. For you who come to me will believe that I am. You won't see me. You won't hear my voice, but you must believe that I am. And you must also believe that I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me, that I truly will make a difference with you. It truly will be that folks will say, what is the reason this hope that is within you? How is it you're so blessed? They'll say that because There is a way that we live, which is as simple as this. We take God at his word. And if he said something is true, then it's true. Faith then acts like what he said is true. That's why we live by faith. It's the only life that God approves of. What else could we do that God approves of? In our text, we judge ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. So my question this morning is, how do we judge ourselves? How do we judge ourselves? Do we judge ourselves by our own goodness? Well, I go to church and I give money and I help and I sweep and I paint and I do a lot of things and I'm busy and I donate. Therefore, I think I'm all right. Or I look at other people and I feel like that, my efforts are a cut or two above theirs. Some people never respond, at least I respond, I volunteer to do this and I volunteer to do that. Is that how we measure ourselves? Or is there something greater than us that we measure ourselves by? How many of you remember the verse in the book of James about looking into the mirror of the law? In fact, I'd like you to turn to James chapter one. And verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For, this is what happens, and I've seen it happen. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, he sees himself, yet He goeth his way and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. He heard the word. He saw himself for a moment as God sees him. He knew his wrongs and knew his weaknesses. But, you know, he got away from it. He walked away from it. It didn't bother him. Walked out the door and didn't remember what he heard. Couldn't recall his convictions. He just remembered he was in another church service, but whatever said there had no effect upon him. But the mirror that we looked at is something that reflects back to you. How many of you feel a mirror like the word of God plays no favorites? The word isn't favorable to me and unfavorable to you. God is no respecter of persons. And what God says in his word, he says to everybody who confronts it. We're all equal. Nobody is above. Nobody's beneath. Nobody's better. The ground at the foot of the cross is level because that cross is based on the word of God. And when you stand there, you have as much opportunity as anybody else standing there. Because what the word says to one, it says to all. And this is what we stand on. But when we look at this mirror... When God begins to show us in this mirror, we begin to see ourselves. You know, like just a while ago, what things ever you desire when you pray. When you pray, believe, and don't, you don't have to keep praying about the same thing if you believe, and yet somebody might say, well, you know, I've been praying about the same thing all week long, Now I feel condemned. No, that's your conscience showing you that what you've been doing is not what God wants you to do. That's why it's not working. Consider your ways. You should do better than you're doing. You should have it better. Your testimony should be a lot better than it is. You need to consider your ways. You're looking at the Word, God is trying to show you something. I'm not trying to condemn everybody in here and make you go home feeling bad. Who oh, preached at me today? If I preached to you today and it was truth, then accept it. I don't have anybody's name here. Let me see whose name did I put on point three here. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Joe Smith, he's on here, in point three. If there's a Joe Smith in here, you know I didn't know it. <laughs> I used to put in sermons a lot, point three. I put somebody's name in there and I could talk for a half hour because that was their testimony. After knowing somebody for a while or being around somebody and seeing the way they live and things that they do, that's their testimony. It is a sermon in itself. Either this is a good testimony or this. Don't do that because this is what happens. This is what happens. But when you're in the faith, you're in a life in which you have resigned yourself to take God at his word. It's a way of life. It's how you live. It's a system of living that God approves of. And you can check yourself out in this word. All you have to do is read it. For example would you turn to the book of Colossians? I'm smiling because I want to give you something to test yourself with. It's on every page. But just picking out a few things in here, in Colossians chapter one, verse 21. And you who were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, which was us, now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you like this, holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Let me ask you a question now, so far. Should we be holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight? Is this okay for you to measure yourself by that? Don't kick this out and say, ah, nobody's. He said, we were once just the opposite of what he's gonna make us. But he said now he's going to present us, when he's done with us, he's going to present us to himself as a holy people, unreprovable people, and a people unblameable. Even though we were wicked, he's going to change us so much, so forgive us, and so change us that none of these traits exist anymore. But it's conditioned. What's the first word of the next verse, a little two-letter word? If. Now, does if mean I have a choice? This is where my faith comes into play. If we make this choice, this is an act of faith. If we continue in the faith, that's the revelation of God on how we live. If we continue in the faith, grounded and settled, which is what we're trying to do this morning, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which we have heard and which was preached to every creature under heaven, which I am Paul made a... Minister and so forth. If God is going to perfect us, that is, we're going to be holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. If we continue in the faith like this grounded and settled and stable, grounded, we don't know much, but we want to know much. We see his word as a treasure, so we begin paying attention to it, so we can make application of it, so we get grounded in this word, so we even quote it now, we can remember it. And we become settled. We're no longer tossed to and fro by this or that, because this word is settling us into what's really right. And we get so convinced of it, so persuaded of it, that nothing can move us off of it, move us away from it. Now measure yourself. Consider it. Is this what's going on in your life? Is it going on in my life? I've already been through this. Let's look at chapter two. Look at verse six. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk ye in him. How do you do that? Well, you do what he said. Isn't that faith? You don't have to agree with it, but is not faith in God living the way he wants you to live, walking in his way? Yeah. We walk by faith. Okay. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Well, that's why we make all that racket this morning. We're thankful. For what are we thankful? Because our mind, while we're thinking of the song and the enthusiasm and all, our mind is beginning to think back about what we're saying and what it means. It has become real. But we can also become convicted because he's all I need. I don't know if I'm really all I need or not. I love the song, but boy, the words are killing me because my heart smites me. He hasn't been all I need. I've needed the bank. I've needed the drugstore. I've needed this. I've needed that. Oh, God, help me. I know better than this. Consider your ways. God's not against you. Remember that? God is not your enemy. He's not against you, but he wants to alert you about things in your life that he will judge if you don't judge it. When are we judged in 1 Corinthians? We are judged when we are chastened by the Lord. Why does he chasten you? So you will not be condemned along with the rest of the world. He doesn't chasten the world. He's not correcting the world. He's correcting you. Why you and not them? I don't know. I don't know either. But counter it a privilege when he puts his thumb on you and says, I told you. And you squall and squeal, but you get corrected. Thank God for that. Because it means that you're being delivered from judgment in the end. All right. Follow me now. Verse 7, he said, rooted and built up in him and established or established in the faith as you have been taught. What about people who aren't taught? I don't mean to ride this horse every week, but let me just throw it out there again. What about all the really good, kind, nice people in pleasant atmospheres who are never taught? The whole church service is centered around some kind of a theme to give you something to think about, to make you a better church in the community. I'm talking about people that aren't taught that the word is not systematically shown to you verse by verse in some cases and truths are brought to the surface. You know what a man's conscience does when he's not living this way and he hears this, he's offended. People quit God because they're offended. Jesus said to his disciples once, after he said some strong things, he said, does this offend you? He didn't quit saying, he just said, does this offend you? Consider your ways. Now, you'll either say you're right and I'm wrong, or you're going to say I can't handle it, and you'll quit, or you'll find some other little place where nobody will teach you and you're left to do whatever you want to do. That's the age that we're in. But if you're going to be rooted, if you're going to be rooted and established, you're going to have to be taught. You're going to have to be stable and fixed and steadfast. You can't flip-flop around. You can't hold to something this week and something else next week. You can't be here, woo, this month and next month down the dumps radical. Right? You can't do that. God lifts you up and he wants you to stay up, but he will test you while you're up to see if you're really going to trust him when you feel like you're down. You gotta hold fast. Go back to Ephesians 3. There's so many truths in this book. Look at verse 17. Ephesians 3, verse 17, that Christ may dwell on your hearts by faith, that you being rooted, there's that word again, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints. This is why we give thanksgiving. What is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height? And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with what? All the fullness of God. Measure yourself. Is that going on? The fullness of God. You know who gets persecuted a lot of times in a church? The person who is laying his whole life before God, and he lives as though everything God said is true and devoted to God. I don't feel comfortable around him. Well, you should. Or her. I don't know. They don't They don't go to ball games or nothing, really. They should, shouldn't it? Because that's in... Uh, where is that at? Let me see. I saw that the other day. No, you didn't. All they want to talk about is Jesus. They want to give testimonies all the time and talk about Jesus and tell you what they read this morning. They just want to do right and live right. They don't have the latest fashions. They don't have the latest cool, whatever that is. is. They're just people that are engulfed in Jesus. And we think they're strange. And yet, it might just turn out to be that God is filling this person up with himself who has rejected the world and its ways, turned away from it, and lives as a sojourner and a pilgrim in this world. Nobody's applauding you anymore. I don't know how that works. When I was coaching basketball and I got saved. But I didn't just get saved, I got saved. I mean, I really, I really did. I got saved. I loved it. I couldn't read enough. I used to think it's a terrible thing to have sleep. I'd sit up half the night and just try to read my Bible. I had to get up and go to school the next morning. And I remember that, getting up and going to school like, oh, I hate this. And it ruined me from getting up in the morning. And I remember the change that began to take place in my life was noticeable. The teachers noticed it, the kids on the basketball team noticed it. I think five of them that year got saved. Cheerleaders were getting saved. We met before school, a half hour before school, and I do what I'm doing right now. I talk to them about the word of God. Because I know that most of them went to church, that meant nothing to them. And I just took advantage, I'm not a preacher. Just took advantage of telling them things about the Bible, how you should live and what the Bible says and, and why we should you know, give testimonies and why we be a testimony. And I know what people said. I know what aggravated people. Your life became a testimony like Jesus said, the world hates you because you testify of its sins. You don't do what they do, and they know inherently in their heart. They know you're right, and they know they're wrong. They want you to loosen up so they don't feel bad around you. When you get rooted and you're starting to get grounded, it's like he said again back in Colossians. He said, when you get rooted and grounded in the Lord, you live in the Lord's life. It's no longer I who live. Didn't he say that somewhere in the Bible? Galatians two twenty. I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. How do you know he does? Because I say he does. No, not necessarily. Anybody can say. Anybody can go to meetings, and anybody can join the church, anybody can say the right thing. Anybody can sing songs. Anybody can do this stuff. Anybody can preach a sermon. Anybody. If you're bold enough but not anybody can live the life because the life is a personal relationship with honesty at a premium in which when God sees it, he draws you into himself, and he makes all things new. And sometimes it's hard for you to explain how your relationship to God is, Or how you can be so sure that you're going to be healed or so sure that the money's going to come in or so sure that God will give you a, as I told my daddy once, a new car. How you can be so sure? How can you be so sure? Your poor daddy said, you need another car. Go get one, mom, and I'll sign for it. I said, you don't have to. have already got one. Where is it? I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. I'm telling the truth. I haven't seen it yet. Another fellow years ago in the discipleship movement told a fellow, we need to get you a a new house or a better place to live. And and the guy said, I've already got one. But you're living here. Yeah, but I have a new home. Where is it? I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. I just told the Lord I'm believing for it and he's going to do it. And you can see the dismal reaction to that. You've got faith. (laughs) You're believing that God's going to do what he said. Come on. Nobody believes that. And hardly, after 40 years, hardly anybody does. I can stand here today after all the years and all the wars and fights and the wounds. And look here, my wings are gone. The backbiter's got them. (laughs) After all these years, I can tell you this. There's not many people that have faith in God, but everybody can talk about it. And this whole message is about consider your ways, you know, take a close look, scrutinize yourself and put yourself to the test whether or not you're even in the faith. What's the message you've been hearing all your life? Do you live it or do you just remember it? There's got to be evidence of all of this. There has to be evidence of it. In Colossians 2, in finishing that, verse 6 and 7, verse 7, he said, root it up, establish in the faith, and so look at verse 8, beware lest any man spoil you. Take away what you've got, because somebody's trying to out there. Go over three or four books to the right to Titus. Titus chapter 1, verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, there's that word again, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, the Jews, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses teaching things which they ought not for money's sake. Listen, teaching and dealing with bad things and bad people and things that are going to test you and confront you are things you have to deal with. And in verse 12 and 13, he says there even is this talk about ugly and bad people around you, calling people names. He said, verse 13, what I'm telling you is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Now, I put this passage in here to say this. Fussing and fighting and arguing is an indication we're not sound in the faith because God doesn't want us to do that. We'll be tested. It's because somebody's going to offend you. Somebody's going to offend you. Somebody's going to do you wrong. And you're going to feel bad towards that person. It's going to happen. You're going to have that experience. And you're going to not want to be around that person, not cooperate with that person, not be a part of anything that they're doing because they took advantage of you. You could even develop a root of bitterness about people in your heart. You know, when you were rooted in the Lord and in his word, you move that aside because now your personal feelings are involved. And when your personal feelings are involved, your life's pursuits goes back to Haggai. When your personal life is about you, about my ways and my feelings, it's no longer about God and his ways. Your priorities are wrong. Your activities are wrong. You can't walk by faith like that. You can't have faith in God and fall apart every time you see somebody or hear something. You can't have faith in God if there's vengeance in your heart about people. It doesn't work like this. You're not blessed going out and blessed coming in. In fact, you're under instead of above. God doesn't bless you when you're not doing it his way. You've got to check yourself by this word. What about praying in the Holy Ghost? Do you all do that? Jude 20, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Do you do that? Well, this is part of what we examine ourselves. We talked a while ago about the mirror. We look in the Word. What does it say? Well, how are you doing in light of that? Do you live like that? Do you pray every day? Do you build up yourselves on your most holy faith so that you can live built up? So that you can live established? so that you can live above and not beneath, the head and not the tail. Do you live like this? Examine yourself. Maybe it's because you're letting this slide. Consider your ways. God has something better for you than what you've been going through. Is Christ dwelling in you? Do you live separated from the world? 1 Corinthians 3, do you defile his temple? Do you live by his word? Jesus said, if a man love me, he will keep my word. If a man keeps my word, Jesus said, he will be perfected. Is this happening in our life? Is it going on? Are we being filled with his fullness? Now, in closing, let me ask you a question. This is easy. This is first grade, primary stuff. Gaga, goo-goo stuff. <laughs> Nothing is offensive here. Let me ask you a question. How do I respond to his word? On the inside of you, there is a private place where you and God are always together, where he never leaves you alone, and where he always says what is right to you. How do you respond to his word? Is it a living part of your life? Is it a daily taste and see thing? Or is it insignificant? Yeah, here's, I go to church. I don't know much about it, but you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm all right. Secondly, do I really want to hear his word? Do I really want to hear the word? Did I come here this morning wanting to hear the word? Do I really want to hear Do I really want to be convicted? Do I really want God to show me things? Or thirdly, do I resist his word? Do I say, well, that's his opinion? Now, I've heard people say things before that I think were attacks and off-key or a bad translation or a bad interpretation of scripture or a bad exegesis, and you know that ah, that's not right. And when I am asking myself these questions and I'm not giving the best answers, Do I make excuses as to why I'm not where I should be? Well, I've got a family full of kids. I've got a mean wife. I've got a mean husband. We don't have enough money, whatever. How many excuses can a Christian make for why they're not the way God said they should be? Christians are great about making excuses why we're late why we weren't here, Why we don't come on Wednesday night, but maybe go somewhere else. we got all kinds of ways that we make excuses because we don't want to see ourselves in a bad light. We like to see ourselves as okay. We're not trying very hard, but come on, I'm okay. And yet God never says that when you're not okay, does he? He always says the truth. And truth is painful, and truth is a conviction. And until you line up with it, it'll stay there. There comes a day, if you keep resisting God, you know what happens? You you sear your conscience. And God will give you up to your ways and your resistance, and you'll never be convicted again. The rest of your life, you'll never have another conviction. You'll never bother you again, not to be doing the right things. To hurt people, say bad things, to curse, drink, or worse, never bother you. Have no conscience. It happens to Christian members, people who go to churches all the time. Well, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says at the end of it, know ye not that Christ is in you, unless, of course, you fail this test. And if you fail this test, when you look at what we've been talking about, and none of this is working in your life, there's no evidence that Christ is living in you. And if he's not, what does it say? You are what? You're reprobates. That, <laughs> that sounds rough, and it is rough, but the word means disapproved. Disapproved. Unacceptable. Was it not true in the Bible that a lot of ministers once? Remember Paul used this same word reprobate in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the last verse, verse 27. He said, but I keep under my body Lest by any means, after I have preached to others, I myself might be a castaway. The word castaway and reprobate is the same word. Think of this. Just think of just for a closing moment. Remember James talked about those who teach the word have a greater judgment? And Paul said, you know, if I don't, as a minister, if I don't keep myself living the way I'm supposed to live or the way you've been talking... If you're not gonna live this way, you might find in the end you're a castaway with all your sermons, all your efforts, all your time, and yet so much of it that was so insincere and not meant the way you spoke it profited you nothing. Y'all believe that? Remember Jesus said in Matthew 7, He said, but Lord, we have prophesied in your name. That's religious, isn't it? We worked miracles in your name. Lord, we did all these good deeds, Lord. And he said to them, I never what? Were they reprobate? They were unaccepted. Why? Because there's something about your life and the way you're living that God sees and that God deals with. All this other stuff is just outside stuff. It's show. It would be easy to put on a show. It would be easy to act the part and play the role. Christians do it all the time. But God sees the hearts. He sees what's inside of you. He knows what you're thinking. He knows if you mean it or not. God is looking at what nobody else can see. And that's what he's challenging. And that's what he's dealing with. So he said... I never knew you. You took everything I said about how this word works. You preached sermons that people loved and you got a lot of money. Man, you live high on the hog, as they say. But you didn't do any of this because of your devotion to me. You started out with all of this, but you made it selfish. You're like Haggai 1. You're building your own kingdom, not God's. I never knew you the wonderful preacher, the great old saint or whoever that never made it, never made it for one reason because what was in their heart that wasn't right with God never responded to God. This is one of those messages that's sobering to me. I've already been through this, studied it and all. God's going to hold us to a very fine line only if you're going to make it but everybody in here can make it. God didn't bring us in here. I would say he didn't drag us in here to drop us, but he brought us all in here so he could fulfill his purpose in saving us is to make us holy without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. And he's gonna do it because what he started, he's gonna finish. Praise God for that. Amen. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus. We give you thanks for your word, for your goodness and your kindness. We thank you for loving us. And this morning we thank you for correcting us, for sparing nobody, for causing your word to become like a hammer or for your word to be like fire or for your word to be like a two-edged sword that cuts and divides and makes clear rights and wrongs, flesh and spirit. We give you thanks this morning. I pray that you'll make us a holy people in this church. You would only bring here the folks who really want to be right with you and live right. That everybody here today will have a testimony. The young folks, when they are older, should Jesus tarry, will have a testimony. I have kept the faith. May we all be able to say that in our life, when the day approaches, I have kept the faith, I am ready to be offered. Bless these people, I pray in Jesus' name. And before we open our eyes and stand to our feet, I wanna ask you one question. How are you doing? Are you living it or are you just talking about it? Do you wanna live this way? You want the blessing of God to just rest upon you and flourish? It's a choice. It's a choice. God give you courage to make a good choice. Amen.